Have any of you guys ever laughed inappropriately at a comment somebody made very seriously to you? Like it was a sad story, and yet something about it just like got in, got into you and just struck you as hilarious, and so you just start laughing when you should be saying, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And my normal response is to try to hold it in, and I make, I make these little it starts to kind of sneak out like. <laughs> And then other people, it's like, bah! I mean, sorry, that was uh, that sounds awful. And so um, those awkward moments sometimes strike. And I'm going to talk about some awkward, awkward laughter moments from the Bible tonight, and what uh, we learn about God from some of these uh, poor people that uh, laughed awkwardly. Okay. We're going to be, you can flip to Genesis 21, I'm going to give some backstory to it, and I'm just going to kind of tell the story, but just so that you'll know where it is for later, you can go look it up, make sure I told it accurately, and call me about what I didn't do right. And um, so there were these, uh, there's this older couple, and um, all their lives they had wanted to have a child, and and yet they couldn't have a child. Um and the interesting thing is that God had even spoken to them and said, hey, through your lineage, everyone on earth is going to be blessed. And so that was exciting. The only problem was the years kept passing. They kept getting older. No baby has come. And so um, at this one, on this one uh, day, these three visitors come up. And there's, there's something interesting about these three guys that come and visit their, their camp, their, wherever they were settled at the time. Um, by the way, the couple's name is Abraham and Sarah. And, um, and so they're sitting down to dinner, and then Sarah goes, and like she's making dessert or something back in a tent. And, um, and so the guys are still talking, and um, one of them says to Abraham, so I'm going to come back next year. In that time, your wife will have conceived, and you'll have a new son by her. And Sarah's in the back, and she's listening, and, and she just starts laughing. She's just like, this is ridiculous. These guys don't really, I mean, I am old, and Abraham's even older. This is not going to happen. This is silly. She comes back out with the, you know, honey bun cake or whatever they made in the, for dessert back then. And um, uh, the guy looks up at her, and he's like, Sarah, why did you laugh? And her first response is, uh, I, I didn't laugh. And then he says, yes, you did laugh. And it's a very awkward moment. <laughs> and then you just imagine them staring at each other, waiting to see who, who breaks first. But uh, she did laugh. And, and it did cause this awkward moment. Um, but she was good at awkward moments in life. In fact, 13 years prior to this, she was walking around with Abraham, and um, God had still, he had already made this promise that she's gonna, they're going to have this lineage and, and bless the earth through their lineage. And uh, they're trying to figure out, how is this going to happen? Because we're getting older and we don't have a baby. And she's like, so Abraham, I think what you should do is sleep with my servant girl, Hagar, and have a son through her. And, of course, Abraham's like, okay, I'll I'll do it. All right, sign me up. And, um, you know, (laughs) that's that's awkward um, in and of itself. Uh, you can just see Sarah, she's just very practical. She's like, God made a promise, but we've kind of got to, you know, God sets a plan for our lives, but we've got to act, we've got to be the ones figuring it out, how to do it. And so um, this, this seems like a good de- idea for right now. And so uh, Hagar gives birth to a son named Ishmael, 
and he starts to grow up as Abraham's heir. And uh, by the time that Isaac, the son that Sarah does end up having, is born, uh, Ishmael is probably about 12, 13 years old. And, um, and so, in Genesis 21, where our story takes place tonight, um, Ishmael is like a mid-aged teenager, like 15, 16, and it says Isaac was just weaned when he was weaned. So whenever they stopped nursing back in the ancient Near East, we'll just, we'll just guess it's two or three, okay? So you've got little Isaac, and, and Isaac means, his name means he laughs. And so this, this brings us back to this moment, this embarrassing moment with Sarah when she laughed in disbelief. And yet they said, name him Isaac, he laughs. And it's this, he, he, he makes us laugh in a good, like God has made us, given us joy, and his name is Isaac. And so Isaac's the little two or three year old, like a lot of our little ones, running around, causing trouble. And Sarah's the, she's this older lady, but she's the mom. She's watching him run around. And, um, and up comes Ishmael, and he's like a lot of teenage boys. He's just out to cause trouble. And, and, you know, he starts making fun of little Isaac. He's like, and he's laughing at him. He's mocking him, is what the scripture says. And, um, you know, just in that annoying way that a 15 year old boy can do, just really just just being mean, and so he's mocking little Isaac, and Sarah's like, uh-uh, mm. and, and she was, mama was mad, and, um, and this, but I think also the fact that, you know, built up inside her is this idea that, that I really screwed this whole thing up way back 13 years ago, or 15 years ago, when, when I, I mean, Ishmael wouldn't even be here if I hadn't said this to my husband. And I think some of that, that hurt and the pain of, 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 man, I screwed this up, has probably been building up in her. So she marches over to Abraham, and she's like, you need to send that woman and her son away. I never want to see them again. Well, it says that Abraham was sad about this. He wasn't, wasn't sure what to do because he cared for Ishmael. It doesn't say what he thought about Hagar anymore, but he did care for his first son, Ishmael. And so he kind of goes away and is, is trying to figure out what to do. And, and we can at least assume there's some aspect of prayer involved because he hears from God. And God says, Abraham, don't, don't worry about it, okay? Um, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. Go ahead and go along with what Sarah is saying one more time. And so in the morning, Abraham gets up and he puts together a little, little uh, sack of food and like a, a skin of water and he gives it to Hagar and Ishmael. And he says, you have to leave. And you can just imagine mother and son walking away from the people that they've grown up with, the people that they've known, the people that were their own, out into the wilderness, alone and dejected. They're the unimportant ones. They're not the ones that were part of God's plan. They're not the ones that are important. They're just the castaways. And so they go off into the wilderness and they eat up their food and they drink up their water and it looks like it's the end. Um, no help is in sight. And so Hagar looks at her son, and uh, they're dehydrated, and they're famished, and um, she can't bear to watch this anymore. She puts them under a tree in some shade, and she says, just stay there, stay there. And she walks away. And he begins to cry, weep. And, and she walks about 100 yards away, and she just throws herself down, and then she begins to sob. And she's just in so much pain. She can't bear to watch her son, her only son, die. And that's when God sends an angel. He sends a messenger. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of your son. 
He's going to become a great nation. I'm going to get you out of this. So get up, go, and, and take your son. And I'm going to be with you. And so she does. She gets up, dries her tears, walks over to Ishmael, and she, she pulls him up to her. And as she does, it says her eyes were opened by God, and she sees this well of water that she hadn't noticed before. And they walk over to the well, and that's their short-term salvation. They have enough water to make it. And the story ends there. We don't know kind of how from there to the point where God takes him, Ishmael, and makes him into a nation. We don't know how he does that, but we know that that's, that's the result of the story. That's the end of the story. Um, that he does get them out of that spot. Now, before I go any further with some of my own thoughts, I just want to hear your, your reaction. What, what is this story about Hagar and Ishmael and Abraham and Sarah? What is this teaching us about God? Where is God in all this? I just want to get your kind of first response reactions. Where do you see God in this? I think it's very that a lot because we don't want to wait until we make our own way that we need in the right way and hopefully God will do that. Um, and so it's interesting that instead of punishing her, we would be our natural response to control her and say, mess everything up. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to mess up the whole thing, you know, the whole promise that I gave you. And then, uh, I mean, I know God gets angry, I'm sure he was, but the fact that he did continue to not let that affect his promise, but his promise still carried through, is kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. Great. What's another reaction to this? What are you learning about God from this kind of retelling of the story? Even with, with Sarah making this kind of mistake, kind of going off on her own, that that God used that to make a nation, you know, another nation, mm-hmm. and that, you know, I don't think that 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 was just sort of like a contingency plan by God. That He's like, oh no, I, you know, Sarah messed up. I, I gotta fix this. But I think that that was still like I think that was still his plan along the way. He came all the way. God's not surprised when we make dumb choices. And, and that's one, one thing that I think is um, one of the first things that I was getting out of the text is that 
the choices that we have that we have do have consequences. I mean, Abraham, Sarah, they made a bad they made a bad choice. It was dumb of Abraham to be like, okay, and then to sleep with Hagar, and and they have and then he has a son Ishmael, and he's got a load of problems in his life because Sarah's mad, Hagar gets mad, and then Ishmael's the son that you know it, it doesn't fit in the scheme somehow, and so his he has consequences for that, and. Um, that wasn't necessarily, you know, from from the perspective of God saying, Abraham, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a son. Ishmael was not the son that God was talking to him about, and yet God is not divorced from the situation of of this of this mistake of this mistake where uh, Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael become part of it. Um, God, He works with them. The fallenness of our world. He works within the brokenness of our world, and and he does good things through that. And we're going to sing some songs here in a in a few minutes that talk about how God reaches into those broken and dark places and and gives hope and like and and creates beautiful things. Uh, there's one part a verse in the prophet that talks about how he he makes beauty come out of the ashes, and I think that's a beautiful thing because ashes are like death. It's burned up, our lives are burned up you know, and yet he can make beauty come alive out of that Um, I think about how um, you know, sometimes we we carry it down we have this tradition, this this teaching that because uh, man has sinned, because we have fallen, because Adam and Eve fell there's a sense in which uh, we have a teaching that God is holy which is true uh, God is, uh, and as we talked to First Peter a couple months ago, that, that means that he is, um, he is good, he is loving to the extreme that it, it blows our minds. And to get near him, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm not like you in that way. But that love defines uh, his holiness. Um, but, but to even think about, you know, God wants to communicate that love and who he is to us. But so often... Um, it's hard for him to because if he communicated it too strongly, we would uh, we, it would be like we were forced to respond back to him in, in either fear or in in you know I, I love you back just because it would just be immediate we couldn't help it if he drew, if you did it too close and so he he holds back he doesn't just he doesn't make his presence so obvious that that it forces everybody to come to him and so in that holding back often what it takes is this place of brokenness this place of of need and desperation that brings us to a place where we say, God, um, I need you. Or, or you're just crying sometimes. You don't even have the words. Or you say, God, I've made a mess of things. Uh, my life is jacked up. It is bad. And um, I need help. I'm sorry. And, and that is so often when the love of God, the power of God is revealed in those broken, desperate times when he says, you know, I love you. I forgive you. I'm making you into something new and beautiful. And so while it's true that God is holy and and sin and evil is not of God, throughout, if you just read the first 21 chapters of Genesis, you know, you have this picture of Adam and Eve, they sin, you know, they, they blow it and they're pushed out of the garden. So we have this idea that God is, they are separated. God is separated from sinful humanity. We got Genesis 4. Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel, their sons. And where is God in the midst of that? He's down talking to Cain, trying to get him to to not screw up and make a bad decision. Well, Cain still does it. He kills his brother Abel. 
Where is God? God surely would be gone now. He would be separated from evil man at this point. But he, he's still in conversation with Cain. It's not a pleasant conversation, but he's still talking with him. And then throughout the story, um, God is walking with a guy named Enoch. He's walking with a guy named Noah. He's walking with a guy named Abraham. And talking about this closeness of relationship that's so close that it's like we're walking through life together. These weren't perfect people, but they are walking with God. God is helping somebody named Lot that has very bad judgment and bad decision-making. He's helping uh, Sarah, who is a doubt, doubter and a critic. He's helping Ishmael, who's kind of a punk kid. that got himself in trouble for laughing at his little stepbrother, or however the relationship worked out. Um, God is involved in the lives of broken humanity. And I think the brokenness that happens in the relationship with God because of sin and evil is on our part. The separation happens because we, we don't look to him anymore and we walk away from him. And, uh, but it seems like God is always trying to, to reach his hands in the muck and the mire and the mess of the brokenness of our lives and of the world and trying to make something beautiful out of it, trying to draw us back in. And I, and I think not to, not to say express doubt in the whole idea that, that sin has serious consequences and that Jesus died uh, to, to deal with those consequences. But I think this story and others in the Old Testament say the picture of God is not just a God that said, oh, you screwed up, you, I'm over here and you're over there. I'm, it's like uh, Gandalf and the Lord of the Rings. I struck the, the bridge and, I, and I'm on this side and you're on that side, you evil demon creature. Um, God is pictured as intricately involved in the broken world. Even after we broke it, even after we turned away, God is pursuing, he's reaching in. And so this story is also about that. And then one last point is that, you know, Hagar and Ishmael are not really big characters in Scripture. They're not the main characters in the story. And I don't think God forgets about the people that aren't the main characters. Um, I don't think he forgets about the people that are a mistake, you know. Hopefully none of us have ever been called a mistake or we've never used that phrase towards somebody else. But, you know, I've seen it just on like TV shows and stuff. You are a mistake. But Ishmael, in this case, in one sense, he was a mistake in some people's eyes. But God didn't forget about him. Um, and Hagar and Ishmael, you know, sometimes we, we might think, you know, this story is about Abraham. It's about Abra- Abraham and his covenant with God. And then Isaac's born. And then through this line, then Jesus is born. And then we get blessed because of Jesus. So the important stuff is about Abraham and what happens to him. And the whole stuff with Hagar and Ishmael, that's kind of some filler chapters. Just because, you know, we got to have so many books in the Bible. And, um, you know, it's good just to have some, some small characters in the story. But I think... You know, if, if we if we get the idea from Scripture that God only cares about the main characters, about Abraham and David and Jesus and Paul and, and the Israelites, and, and that he, he just doesn't like anybody else or they don't matter to him, I just think that's a bad reading of Scripture. Um, of course, in the story or in a movie, you're going to get the main characters that play out, and you couldn't go into depth about every single character because it's a story. That's how stories work. But God is not a God that forgets about the people that are on the fringes of the story.
He cares about the people that are on the fringes. And a lot of times it's the people on the fringes of the story or on the fringes of society that don't think too much of themselves. They are usually desperate because they're on the fringes. They've gone through a lot of hardship. And so those people are usually ripe for God to say, I want to use you in my story in a special way. And just think about David, who was this little runt with a pack, and God chose him to be the, the great king of Israel. He chooses these stinky fishermen from the armpit region of Israel to be his greatest storytellers and ambassadors in his kingdom. He, he chose, I was reading about Martin Luther, and, he, and Martin Luther from the Reformation period, and he was just this no-name monk turned preacher, kind of on the fringes of the, the, the important parts of the world at that point. He stands up to the great powers of his day and the corruption of his day and says, that's wrong. God uses him. God used in, in, uh, he uses peasants from China and from India in the last 50 years who hardly had any scripture or any knowledge of God, and he fills them with his spirit and equips them to start some of the, the most powerful church planning movements in the history of our world that have happened in the 80s and the 90s and in the last decade or so. God chooses these people that are on the fringes to do great things. And even if they don't, even if the people on the fringes don't make it into the history books or that he doesn't choose them to do something that is this great, spectacular story, he doesn't forget about them. And so one question I want us to think about is this. Who are the people on the fringes of our society in Dallas? And do we think that God will do his most powerful work through the existing power structures of our city? Or do you think that he might want to choose the broken and the forgotten and the outcast? I'm, I'm kind of tempted to think when I read scripture that God um, chooses to do a lot of his best work among the people that are on the fringes. And so the question is, where do we want to be? Do we want to be... Um, this is me questioning myself. Do I want to be in this comfortable setting where God has to kind of kick me and say, get up, lazy bomb, you know, you're in this comfortable place where everything's fine and normal and everybody's like you? Or do I want to look for God in those places on the fringes where people have been forgotten and people are broken and people are addicted and people are poor? You know? I just think that maybe we would find God in those relationships. And of course, God's put us in different Circles and friendships, and that doesn't mean you, you drop the friendships you are in and you find all new fringe people. But there's a sense in which I think we look for God in, in those people that have been forgotten, and we look for His activity there. And I think we'll we'll find Him. And so, if that sort of thinking or this story challenges you tonight, um, let's just let God kind of work on us tonight through the rest of. Our time communing and singing and praying and listening to more story um, and let him kind of shape us through this. So Lauren's going to lead us in communion, so come on up.